Well, hello, church family. It is so good to be here with you today. Uh, I am so excited about what God has in store today. We're continuing on our Jesus and Justice series, and I am so excited to be joined by my good friend, John. John, thanks for being here. Um, but before you jump in, I want, I want to just introduce John, because John is, listen to this, he's not only does he just attend Milton Bible Church, he's the husband to Abigail, he's the father to Corey, Sam, Seth, Silas, and Caroline, He's a teacher, writer, he's a rapper. In fact, he was nominated for the Best Rap Album of the Year by the Gospel Music Association in 2019. Yeah. Correct? And in his music, you can count on hearing themes of peace, love, family, and justice in Jesus. And so I just thought, man, it would be great to hear from John Corbin. So John, how was that for an introduction? <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Did I miss anything? Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot going on, but, <laughs> but I, think that, I think that sums it up sums it up. Well, John, listen, uh, just to give some people a context of who you are, if you know anything about John, John is passionate. He's passionate about Jesus. He's passionate about justice. I would love, why don't you just give us a snapshot as to why justice is so big on your heart. It's in your lyrics. It's, it bleeds out of you. What, what happened? Where did that come from? Yeah, I mean, like anyone, there's always a number of stories that, uh, that add up to what, you know, what stokes passion in their lives, right? So there's been a number of sparks for me. Uh, I think the biggest one that I could talk about is as a university student going to the uh, Urbana Conference with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship in 2003, so it was down in Illinois, and uh, what they do at that conference is really cool. They are really intentional about multicultural uh, expressions of worship. Mm. And so they are intentional about um, putting a variety of people on the stage, a variety of expressions on the stage to teach us different things, to get us out of this mode where we are used to being taught and instructed by one person. So they're very, very intentional about that. And it's a very enriching experience. Um, one of those things was the, I think it was the last night, maybe a New Year's Eve or, or uh, something close to that. Um, we were led in worship by an indigenous worship band called Broken Walls. And uh, it was a phenomenal time. Um, they sang in w ways uh, that, that blended their expression with uh, worship that we were sort of used to seeing. Um, but this really neat moment was um, sort of a traditional song that was being played and uh, dancers filling the aisles of this 20,000-seat basketball stadium uh, in traditional regalia. And so it's just this very, um, it, you know, it's, it's, an it's an indigenous experience. You could see this a very indigenous cultural expression and these, and these folks dancing down the aisles. And then all of a sudden, uh, all the attendants sort of filled the aisles with them and started to dance, and you just had these rows and rows and rows of people, just a mass of people dancing together um, in celebration. It was a really healing moment. I was sitting up on the second row, or sorry, second level, and saw this happen, this sort of bird's eye view, and it really touched my heart to see how um, there, how <laughs> these walls could be broken, just like, just like the band is called. And that night was just a big party. They had a bunch of different kinds of music. They had hip hop there. And I, I was just getting into hip hop in 2003. And I just remember thinking like, man, if this isn't a picture of what heaven could look like, you know? And, it, and it's, it's in our expression. It's, you know, there's, you know, there's lights and a show and we've been to concerts before and there's a lot of people, but oh man, just, just all the cultures together, uh, equal, um, no elevation of one group over another. Um, this is the sort of heaven, picture of heaven that I've been reaching for. 
and striving to see in the different churches that I've gone to. That, that was, that's a big passion of mine. And probably something that's hard to find. You probably haven't seen much of that either in culture or even church culture since no. probably. No, and it is a, a constant pursuit and then one of also uh, frustration and uh, you know, a working out of this picture that, that I saw. Yeah, I mean, legitimately a picture of what we hope, what we're all trying to get towards. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I can't say I've ever been led by an indigenous worship band. Oh, and what's interesting is I'm talking with some of the worship leaders here at church. We all come from different expressions. We all have different leanings. Um, my experience as a worship leader through the years, including university, was acquiring and exchanging songs with people. So after that experience, there were songs that Broken Walls gave us that we brought back to Canada and would sing in our own. So now, because, because of that exchange. Cool. And so it is that um, uh, the connection with one another uh, through these various expressions that, again, we're not used to. We usually stick in our own, our own expressions, our own silos. And so we're missing that sort of cultural exchange, which would allow that sort of spread of culture. And that, that was it. That was something that ignited a spark of flame. Oh, yeah. That, um, um, the passion's burning so bright. Um, yeah, and, and I'm just, I'm desperate for it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Well, John, that's why you're sitting here is because we know you're <laughs> passionate about justice. We know you're passionate about Jesus and seeing the church kind of be passionate about it as well. Um, but just, a, you know, it would be easy. It really would be easy to, to kind of just take a series like Jesus and Justice and maybe not touch on it or not address it because, you know, it can ruffle some feathers and, you know, it can be political, it can seem political at times, but why is it valuable? Why is it valuable as a church to, to spend time talking about justice? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I think one of them is this note, this, I mean, this clear idea that we're all made in the image of God, right? And so, there's this inherent value that's given to us because of our maker. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a hip-hop guy. I remember, you know, the, the rapper Mos Def, who's Muslim. I just remember loving this thing he talked about is, you know, hip-hop, he said, hip-hop's not going to get better until the people get better. Mm. And how are people going to get better? Because they recognize they're valuable. And they're not valuable because of money or you know, somebody's specific worth, it's, they're valuable because they're made by God and God makes them valuable. Wow. And I just, I was always looking for those sort of points of connection with other expressions, right, that would match with who I know Jesus to be. I know Jesus to be someone that ascribed value to people when the culture would throw them away. Yeah, right? I mean, that's one thing that I think is, is interesting in this climate right now is one of the core tenets of Christianity is this notion that every life is valuable. It's like every person that walks this earth has their fingerprint on them. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, just to talk about how, like, in a naturalist worldview, it's, it would seem normal for one group to be more powerful than another or to overpower another. If we're just animals, if we're just species, right, then why do lives have value? But the Bible, God says, look, I've made every person, it says they were made in our image. Man was made, man and woman were made in our image. Yeah. That, is a, that is the starting point for justice. Is it doesn't matter, you know, your color of your skin, where you're from, your socioeconomic background, you, you matter to God. Yeah. That's, that's the starting point. So then the, uh, then the second thing that comes to mind is sort of this, my heart sparked with empathy, yeah. where there are people that are hurting, mm. right? And they're hurting because of situations in their lives that 
where maybe they're not getting as many advantages or maybe they're being actively oppressed by people. Um, I find in North America, there's often those connections to certain people groups. So, you know, sort of in the Black Lives Matter movement, say um, there are black folks that feel connections to certain tragedies that happen to, to black folks. Uh, and that actually happens in every people group. Um, we just don't always have we just don't always have enough empathy for all those yeah. things. So visibility. Yeah. So then, so now on a Sunday morning, say you know people are walking through their doors and they're feeling the hurt of um, either oppression or or that there is this inequity in the world, and I believe that God cares about it. And then we need to encourage uh, you know our church brothers and sisters to care about it too. Yeah, and, and the, the question the question is, how does understanding, I mean, understanding that core value of every person's made in God's image, how should that change the way I treat others? Yeah, yeah. And it pulls us out of ourselves because we're so often, um, you know, connected to our needs and desires and even fearful that they're not going to be met. Mm -hmm. Like our God's not good, good enough or big enough to give that to us. So we fight for scraps and we're ready to fight other people. But the, the, to to ascribe value, to pull us out of ourselves, to recognize that um, to follow Jesus means to also ascribe that value and, and, and to treat them. Equally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think sometimes we forget what we, what we sign up for when we become Christian. Like, we, we are not just, you know, following a set of doctrines. We're not just following, you know, uh, we're not just, like, signing up for a serve team or, like, a team at the church or how, you know, to, to attend church every Sunday. When you become a Christian, you're deciding to follow a man named Jesus who, like you said, found himself amongst those who were hurting, those who were down, th those who really were being served in justice. I mean, you, you think about the many instances where Jesus knelt down, or I think about the woman that was hauled out in front of, yeah. you know, the religious people, yeah. and was going to be stoned for her sexual behavior, and, and, and really what's been done to her, and how she's been taken advantage of. And, and you know, these religious leaders are going to stone, stone her. going to take a life. And, what's, and Jesus' response was, was legendary. What did he say? He says, he says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he got down on her level and wrote in the sand, which we all debate about, what did he write? But just what a picture of getting down to where the hurting person was. Right now, would you say it's a little, whether, I don't, would you say it's almost trendy or trending to kind of be talking about justice right now? Oh, yeah, it's definitely in our, our cultural discourse. And there's certainly been ways that we can... Um, perform <laughs> our discussion and talking about race. Yeah, I like yeah. I like the word perform. We're, we're gonna we're gonna chat a little bit about that. But what, why is it kind of such a topic right now? Why is it on radar on our radars? Why is why why is race kind of in conversations around the dinner table more than ever and on social media? Give us some. Yeah, it's interesting because that there's been there's been a number of times, especially in the era of concentrated social media, where there's been a number of of cases or a number of hashtags of, of uh, killings from law enforcement or sort of unauthorized killings of black and brown bodies. And they can bunch up and become a real uh, point of pain for mm -hmm. communities of color. Um, it seemed like in June of this year, something broke with the George Floyd murder. Yeah. And it just, I don't know if the scales fell off of our eyes culturally or collectively, but this one affected people um, in a very profound way. Uh, and I, I, I'm sorry to say this one, because there's just been yeah. so many in, in high profile. Um, this is a high, a high profile case that really seemed to affect people. 
and then it was um, girded by a number of other cases. Yeah. And so somehow we just started talking about it. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, especially in the fact that it was caught on video. You know, had it yeah. not been, it would have probably just been another case that we didn't hear a whole lot about. Um, but even around that, you know, we talked about, you know, Botham Dean, I believe, was just before that, but... And Ahmad Arbery as well. But yeah, the that, was, that was not police-related, but there was, the, the, there was some suspect police work in there as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and just recently, Bionna Taylor's case is kind of coming to somewhat of a, a verdict that's pretty sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pitiful. Uh, yeah. Disgusting, really, of how that's turned out, of this woman who is sleeping in her bed. <coughs> sleeping in her bed, and through terrible means of getting a warrant for something that was just kind of not a case, ended up being shot in her own home. That's kind of why things have reached the way they are. And I think sometimes we can get, and correct me if I'm wrong, but for a while all the talk was about George Floyd, George Floyd, George Floyd. And it took me a moment to realize that, you know, all these riots are not, you know, riots or protests are not just happening because of one man's murder. It's over years and years and years and years yeah. and years of pain and hurt. And, uh, you know, people, Jim said on Sunday as he, as he quoted MLK, you know, protests and riots are the language of the unheard. Yeah. Do you think that's why it's kind of so loud right now? Is you know, what's interesting is um, my learning path uh, with Mike Brown and Ferguson, mm -hmm. um, that, was, that was an interesting one, is that, again, the anger sort of bubbled up and protests hit the streets and, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement was essentially formed. I didn't know that there were decades of stories of mistreatment um, and uh, by the police of, of communities of color in those areas, that there are stories and stories and stories, and it just was a breaking point. They couldn't take it anymore. And, you know, Mike Brown's very much connected to um, Emmett Till case, which I think is one for, for study and not for description. Um, on a Sunday morning, um, but there were there were so many connections between you know a young person that was sort of life was taken like this and put out on display in the streets and um, it just builds this this anger and emotion um, that that has been that has been bubbling up from a number of instances and so I think we're seeing that in the cities especially the cities that are in October 2020 still, still engaging in protests. There, there's, there's long histories there that need to be examined. Yeah, and I, the one thing that was so amazing to me in all this is as soon as this started happening, there were so many different reactions from every sort of, you know, of type of person. There were people that were saying, protests are evil and condemning the protests. You know, immediately some people, you know, were saying, burn it down and, you know, all sorts of different reactions and some people just in complete lament and hurt and others just kind of maybe turning a blind eye from your perspective, maybe from looking at like a dominant group and like a, a you know, a minority group, what, uh, what are the different reactions to seeing racism at work? Yeah, so I mean, we talked a little bit about anger yeah. um, from, from, a, from the minority groups um, or marginalized groups, um, real sense of anger, grief, yeah. um, that, is, that is connected to a lot of these tragedies, right? Um, and yeah, and I think that it's, it's hard for the dominant group to sort of turn their ear to that kind of pain. Um, and it's easier to sort of point or judge. Um, that reaction of maybe pointing or judging or, you know, uh, keeping, keeping the focus outward 
removes the internal dialogue, which is often connected with shame. And that's what happened with George Floyd when the scales fell off her eyes is that there is a lot of, oh, okay, so um, there's a reality that uh, uh, minor, uh, minority groups or marginalized groups have been talking about for a long time and I haven't been listening and now it's very clear that there's, there's an issue and I'm ill-equipped for this conversation. Late, late to the game. Late to the game. Yeah. And so a lot of times that shame moves in, in two ways and I've heard a great speaker, Shita Moore, talk about this and I've written about it a little bit as well. Um, the first reaction is the navel-gazing. Right, and they start to do this self-examination, but it's a lot about I'm late to the game. Why didn't I know this? Why didn't I see this before? I mean, heck, you and I have had conversations for years, and I've heard you talk about that as well. It's part of processing your reaction. Um, you've just been able to do it in a good, loving relationship, yeah, thank you. right? <laughs> um, well, that's why we're here, right? Like we've had these dialogues for for years now. Um, the other one that's often found is is an immediate fix. Oh, I'm, they're mobilized. Let's go. We got to do something. We got to do it. We got to go. We got to get get together. Get the people. And neither of those actually sit with the people that are in pain mm -hmm. and feel their grief with them. It's again avoiding grief, avoiding pain. So these communities have, are are struggling and are feeling the weight of this. But the dominant group is like mobilized to fix and. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not honoring or providing dignity They're either saying, hey, way. We're still struggling here, you know, maybe <laughs> fixing eventually, you know, the goal is to eventually see racism eradicated, yeah. honor. That, everyone agrees that that would be ideal. That's ideal utopia, right? We won't see that until we get to heaven. We know that. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that shame is so easily connected to that. I need to fix something. I need to do something. And do you think, and you and I have chatted about this, about the desire to not be seen as like one of the bad guys. Oh man, yeah, oh totally. That we have this dichotomy in our heads about being heroes or villains, yeah. right? So you know where I get this a lot is in films. Because mm -hmm. I love films about social issues, but there, is, there are genres of films that are not, there's historical um, you know, fiction or, or telling stories from the past, but then there's like a genre within the genre of telling a story about a community of color, but it's done from like a Eurocentric perspective. And so like the main character is actually white, but gets to observe all of the things that happens to these black communities or these communities of color. And in those films, you, you often get this narrative where there are good whites and bad whites. And so you can sit there on the audience and go, I'm not that guy. I'm that guy, right? <laughs> I'm the coach of the football team. Right, <laughs> and, and not the coach of the other football team who's gonna like hurl obscenities at your players or like find a way to cheat or, you know, without naming any other movies. I, you know, I'm the guy that knocks down the coloreds only sign on the bathroom. I'm not the entire rest of the people in this organization that have treated you know, treated these people of color poorly or have excluded them or, you know, demeaned them. Like, I'm not those people. I'm like that, I'm, like, I'm that guy. I'm the one guy. And so this is our, our inherent desire to be good and then not complicit with, with a system that has been oppressing for a long time because that is a really devastating reality. Really devastating reality. And you and I know, because we talk about this, that... As a Canadian, 
I need to make sure that I identify and understand that I'm in a system that took land from First Nations people and is, is treating these people groups unequally right now. So before I get into this all black and white and high and mighty and my skin gives me such and such and your skin, Jesus, no, I exist. This land that we're on right now, right, did not belong to us. And so that's, that's a sobering thought. Mm-hmm. It's very humbling. It takes some undoing. Yes. And, you know, just in some of the conversations we've had, we, it's, it, it's easier to, to, to act or be like the hero, right? And say, I'm going to make sure that no one can point a finger at me to say that I act explicitly in this way or that way or that, of course, I'm not a racist or, of course, I've never... And, you know, we're not out to, to point fingers at people and say, like, who's a racist, who's not a racist, but, you know, that's, that's looking for the villain, who's the hero, who's the villain, but just to ask the question, in what ways in my heart, you know, have I, you know, looked more like the villain than the hero? And that is a question that I've asked myself, not to have a, uh, you know, I think we've got to have a, a God, we should see ourselves as God sees us, who sees us as holy and forgiven, and, and, but, but we also know that the Bible says that every single person is born into sin, that every single person has fallen short of the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to prejudice and racism, it's not about trying to find the racist, racist in the room or in our coworker that's racist. It's to ask ourselves in, in our hearts, the very dark corners, what parts of my heart you know, don't reflect the heart of Jesus and the heart that says every person has value? Yeah, how about the Psalmist David, search me and know me, O oh God, right? No, like, see if there's any offensive way within me, mm. right? Take away the barriers of sin that would keep me from you and keep me from, you know, my brothers and sisters, your, your creation, my family, mm-hmm. right? This is our, our constant search is to be more like Jesus and that we have to remove these barriers of sin. Yeah, I, 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 and I, I think the temptation is to say, well, I've never said a bad slur or I've never said this or I've done that. And I, I think it's important to say it's not just about black and white. You know, I, I, like just recently, you know, we, we talked about Indigenous um, and about the, the, the life and death of Joyce Eshaquan, who was in a hospital yeah. bed and for some reason felt the need to film herself as she was really dying. And, um, and that some of the, the comments and mocking and slurs that kind of went her way were reminded that this is not just a black and white issue. No. I can remember just before lockdown, um, actually it was, the, it was the, the last day before Halton Conservation closed all their... Okay. Conservation yeah. So Rachel and I were at Crawford Lake. If you haven't been there, church family, when it's available, I'm not sure if it's open <laughs> right now, you should go. But around Crawford Lake is this boardwalk that just walks over, you know, that, that goes around the whole pond. And it's quite narrow in some spots. And at that point, there was no directional arrows on the ground. It was very new. But COVID was very real. And it was very busy. It was the yeah. last day. And we all knew that this lockdown was coming. And I just remember walking on that boardwalk. And we're kind of at the back of... Unfortunately, we were at the back of all the people walking, so we had to, like, go at their pace or whatever. And I remember seeing the people in front of us, you know, a number of people, 15, 20 people, walking normally, and we're all being conscious of COVID-19. At that point, it was a mystery. So when people would come, we'd lean kind of away from them. Mm-hmm. But it was amazing, and not in, like, a, a good sense. It was unbelievable to watch how people would react when, you know, people from Asian countries would walk towards us. When anybody that looked like, you know not from Canada, but especially those that came from Asia, China, Japan, you know, it was, it was amazing to watch 
how they would just, people would almost jump over the railing mm. to get away from yeah. these people. And it broke my heart because it made me realize right away that, hey, prejudice and racism is greater than just a black skin and white skin. It's, it's, it wasn't just white people leaning over. It was, it was, it was just, it was evident. Yeah. You know, it's brought, I think also about Islamophobia right here in Milton. I mean, for those listening at home, it's likely your neighbors next door or just down the street, you know, are, are Muslim. And you've probably heard and I've heard enough to know that Islamophobia is real in Milton, Ontario. Yeah. And, you know, Rachel and I, we were looking at a house in a nearby town and we were chatting with the neighbors because we were trying to maybe wonder about moving to this town. And one of the neighbors were there, the great little, great lady, but a, a, someone kind of came by in their car and they're like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know, we're just chatting. They said, yeah, you'd love to live here. It was a really great community before all the immigrants began moving in. Mm, yeah. And it's like, oh, man, you're trying to sell me on your community and that's what you say? <laughs> like, I want to stay away from you, let alone, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, not just a, it's not just a black and white thing. All of us have to ask ourselves the question, in what ways, you know, sure, we all like to be the hero, right? We want to fix it. We want to kind of, we don't want to deal with these tough issues or look inside ourselves and say, oh, man, do I really have these feelings? But we've, we've got to wrestle some of these things. Yeah. Um, last week on Sunday morning, Jim gave us some really helpful tips on really answering the question, what can I do? And perhaps that question comes sometimes from that place of shame or like, you know, I need to fix things. Or perhaps it does come from a heart that just says like, okay, I'm ready to, I'm ready to do, I'm ready to, you know, change my perspective. I'm ready to learn. I'm ready to listen. What can I do? How can I help? And he gave us four, four different ways. And the first one was show solidarity. Right. John, what comes to mind when you hear those two words, show solidarity? Yeah, so I think back to June um, when suddenly my inbox started to fill up. <laughs> and there was just one week in particular where there was just a bunch of requests um, to either contribute to church services, um, like outside of my own community, um, or consult on things, or even just fielding questions um, that had nothing to do with, you know, the nothing to do with the communities I was involved in, just people I used to know that had certain consultation questions. People just assumed you were the expert on yeah, <laughs> all things. Yeah, and, you know, and, and it's, it's easy to be cynical about that stuff. Oh, yeah, I, I know this black guy once. and Because mm. um, there were so many that came at me, I couldn't field them all. But even one person sort of um, stepped to me kind of a weird way. I was able to say, you know, like, I've known you for a while, and I don't really like how this exchange is happening. And it really, um, you know, they really reset themselves mm -hmm. and have been like a major source of care for me in the last, you know, since June. Wow. Um, that relational piece is really interesting because you, got, you have to remember that people of color have seen, like there's a playbook to this stuff, right? Um, the, the victim gets uh, killed and then in the news we see their, um, their rap sheet or yeah. the things that would sort of, make it justifiable that they would die. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, some of it's crazy. Yeah. You, know, you think about, um, I'm, 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 you think about how oftentimes they'll just go back into their history of even when they were like a young teenager. Like, well, he's, you know, they stole a candy bar from when they were 14. Or yeah. Something. It's like, okay, why are, we, why are we so quick to mention what about isms? Well, what about, they were going for a knife, John. Yeah. Right? Or what about this? What about, I mean, it's been not even 48 hours since something's happened and all the what about isms. Yeah. What about this or what about that? It's, it, and we don't follow this logic through. It's just, it, it, this, this is now the justification for their life to be over. And, and then the next play is, 
you know, people of color saying like, that's not, that's not even close, mm. right? Like this, you know, having drugs on your person or having a prior criminal record is not justification for your death. Mm. And so what was interesting was being able to talk about those things um, in, in relationship. The other, the other part of the playbook that we see quite often is the sort of performative aspect of it, where, you know, we had, you know, members of the, the, the American uh, House of Representatives like kneeling in a lobby in kente cloth, mm -hmm. like something they've never done before. Just for people that might be wondering, what is kente cloth? Uh, it, it's, uh, well, I would just say it's African symbolism, yeah. right? So it's just, they've never done this before, right? Um, so what, what does that serve? We have um, on Instagram, we saw, you know, people needed to, were asked to post black squares. Um, to show solidarity. To show solidarity. Um, but you could find, you don't have to go very far, far to find people of color that would say, we don't need that. We don't need your black squares. No, oh, we'd, like you to, to, we'd like you to work on uh, legal reform. Or we'd like you to reform on reforming a law or helping in your business or helping in your community, like actual action, not symbolism. So that solidarity doesn't mean as much if you're not willing to put action behind it. But in this case, it needs to be done in collaboration. That's where the relational piece comes in. Totally, right? collaboration, I love that. And just not, the t and avoiding the temptation to get there too quickly. Yeah. And skipping past like the mourning, the grief, or oh. lamenting. Yeah. And this is where the church, I think, um, I feel really convicted because I've been, you know, a worship leader called into worship when I was in university as well, is that our hymnology, we just don't have it. We just don't have lament, right? But it's, I mean, was lament a part of worship in the Bible at all? <laughs> you mean uh, half the <laughs> Psalms? <laughs> yeah, if not more. Um, I love the, you know, uh, the, the, the Canadian band down here, they have that song called From Protest to Praise, right? Which makes so much connection with, um, with the lament found in the Psalms. Just digging into the emotion that exists and not setting it aside for the, the um, elevated praise, right? As, as in to deny this certain existence. Because in those Psalms, they get there, yeah. right? They turn from their pain and lift it up to God in, in a desperate request for help. Mm -hmm. And that is what connects so much with communities of color and they worship differently. And when we eliminate those things and we, we eliminate those cultural expressions with them and we elevate one expression, it's, it's a real problem to me. It's a real problem. Um, and, and our lament, um, yeah, we need to get better at it because we do feel the burdens. And the George Floyd situation taught us that so much because everyone felt it. Everyone felt it. Yeah. And I think the temptation, I know in, in my heart was, again, kind of that, let's fix this quick, show, I'm, show we're not one of the bad guys, but not want to dwell too much in the, 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 the lamenting piece. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think we can learn to just sit with people. You know, the whole idea in the Bible, Jesus wept. Oh, man. It's the most powerful verse. And it's so short. Yeah. <laughs> it's, why did he do that? Why did he choose, knowing what he, know, knowing what he knew, why yeah. he was with Mary and Martha, that their brother had died, they were wrecked. Yeah. And he wound up resurrecting Lazarus from the dead.
but he didn't say, get over it. Yeah, think about that for a moment. Like, just think about this. <laughs> Jesus shows up. This young man had died, a friend of Jesus. And likely knowing that he would resurrect him four days later, it makes it clear in there that Jesus took time to weep. <laughs> yeah. He, he wept. And I think sometimes we undervalue that sometimes some of our friends are, that are people of color, those that are maybe have been marginalized, they're not looking for the black square as quick as they are, just looking for maybe that hand on the shoulder, that quick text that says, hey, I love you, I'm for you, you know, I'm thinking of you. Um, it's powerful. Yeah. It's powerful. Yeah. In the, same, in the same breath, I love what Jim said, that eventually our lamenting moves us from our knees to our feet. Mm-hmm. And, and we must do something with these emotions and these feelings that we have. Um, and, and that's when that's when he started to talk about things like speaking up. Yeah. John, when it comes to speaking up, um, a lot of questions come to mind. Yeah. What am I saying? Who am I saying it to? <laughs> you know, how do I say it? What tone do I use? What means? What? When you hear the idea of speaking up, um, you know, this is this, we're encouraging people now at home watching this to help you know pursue justice. We're encouraging you to speak up. What kind of comes through your mind when you hear that? It's something not to be taken lightly, mm. um, but it's necessary. Yeah. It's important to interrupt narratives that are false or perpetuate harm. Mm. I um, like that. Interrupt narratives. Yeah. It's happened to me. Um, I'm sure it's happened to you. Yeah. Just even small things with our language um, that, that can really affect it. I remember the, the person that said something to me in grade nine um, of a word that I used, and he fumbled through his, you know, that he was, you know, he was probably shaking. He's probably very nervous, but interrupted that, that that's not a word that I should be using mm-hmm. and, and set me straight, right? Just, just by speaking up. It was not about the effectiveness of his argument. Um, the, a, a really important piece for that is to have your learning, right? To be listening to, to various voices. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes in, uh, in my professional life, um, that allows me to ask certain questions, mm. right? Um, you know, there's a, there's a, a teacher that really is excited about this resource and it's going to deal with like anti-racism. And I'm so excited and I go, um, did you did you know that um, actually black folks don't like this resource that they find that it um, you know a b and c uh, oh no i didn't know that at all oh yeah i just was listening to this podcast and i was really surprised myself to find out this thing i can pass it to you if you want um can you imagine that goes unchecked so connect it's connected to our learning and our listening um, that's, that's a real big part of it to start is to make sure that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah. I, it's interesting you talk about the question asking because I think that's very closely to the model of Jesus who like when he was proposed with something, he would often ask a question. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Craig Groeschel, and you can fact check me, I don't know who said this, but said never say a sentence, never make a statement where you can ask a question. And I thought mm. it's very interesting because it continues conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I can think of our relationship, John, where even you've, you've inquired of me and you said, hey, Jordan, you know, that's not really a thing. Right. And, uh, and, I, and, you know, this one circumstance, and I thought, you know, just that, just that, stand, just that, did you know that they probably wouldn't appreciate that? Yeah. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know. Done. Yeah. Uh, did it, you know, was it like life-changing? Maybe not in the moment, but it's changed my language. Made mm-hmm. a difference. 
Yeah. And I'll pre it prevented me from saying it again. <laughs> and so, uh, so sometimes speaking up doesn't have to be like with the megaphone. No. A lot of times it's over Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> yeah. Or just breakfast or yeah. around the water cooler. And you, you, I think one should be wary about the, the passionate attack because you're responsible for your choices and I'm responsible for mine. And so if I'm going to speak up, it's not that I have to wrestle your mind and I'm going to change it. And you, It's not a controlled thing. It's really about um, presenting you with new information if, and you're going to make the choice. So, I mean, if you want to discuss, we can discuss. If you want to argue, I'm not really here for it. But I think a lot of times folks from the dominant culture, they really want to make sure that by the end of this conversation, you have changed and you know the guy that checked me had no idea. Yeah. And, and there's there's room for, for calling people out, right? Um, but I also think conversation calls people up. Yeah. And you know it says, hey, did you know that actually this is? Be happy to chat with you about it. Yeah. Uh, and I just think that's the, you know the attack versus like kind of the the invitation to conversation is so different. It seems like a search for justice from yeah. this generation that they're trying to sort out what justice means in this in this new world. Um, and are, you know, they've, they've developed their own court. Yeah, um, it's like you're going to pay. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention about, about the learning aspect of it, I think that it's important um, to not take your, your relationships from minority groups as like the sole representation. <laughs> of <laughs> I've got this one black friend, yeah. and he said that racism doesn't exist. Yeah. So therefore, there it is. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't need to read any of the authors that talk about it or any of the speakers. It, yeah, we really need to be be careful with that. And, and you know, um, my favorite phrase is that you know these these groups are not a monolith. Yeah. It's not one one thing. And, and oh, my friend said this because he's in an uh, intercultural marriage. And um, his wife is black, and he says that I am happy to share stuff with my with my wife, um, resources, articles, podcasts, whatever. But if she shares something with me, I'm doubly obligated mm. to learn. Interesting. And so I will pay much more attention to that. And I'm actually not worried if she doesn't engage the stuff that I don't that I send her. That I'm obligated to learn. And that that was uh, that was really moving for for, hear, to, for me to hear that because that is, I think it's true when you're trying to learn like when something gets offered to you, yeah. um, you should receive it graciously. I, I love that. I think the temptation is then to kind of like adopt a minority, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Or to like, okay, I've got to find myself because you know Pastor Jim, Pastor Jordan, they said we've got to have a black friend to learn from, you know, here's your three points to take home. It's not what we're saying here. Uh, ideally, these conversations and this learning would come, yeah, from your relationships, but there's tons of material out there right now. There's, oh, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff, and um, maybe we'd be happy to share some of that at the church as well. And so, Do your Googles. Do your Googles. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just be mindful of adopting, you know, your one black friend or, you know, your one Asian friend to, to show your, your solidarity and learn because they're not, they're not our teachers. Yeah. Um, it's only gracious when they decide to do so. Um, what about amplifying voices? Yeah. You know, um, maybe we can speak up or people can speak up, but what's the value of lifting others up to be heard? Sure, and this is where I think we need to get into the, the, the dangerous word of white supremacy, okay. right, which, um, eg which exists in our culture to elevate a certain group and it's done often insidiously. It's not something that we often Listen. respect. We, we often connect um, 
white supremacy to sort of active hate groups, and then we're not them, so, so there's the villain and we're not, so we're good. But we don't see Confederate flags or anything or, you know, around Canada so very much, so it's not really an issue here. Yeah, yeah, but, but our media looks a certain way. Our books in school look a certain way. Our educators look a certain way. And we haven't asked the question about why. So when, so when you have sort of all of these systems in place, they look a certain way and they, they privilege a certain group of people, we can come to get, understand this notion that only a certain um, group is uh, conventionally beautiful and only a certain people group is intelligent and only a certain people group are you know, good at writing or good at, you know, any, and you name the discipline. So we don't get used to learning from people that don't look like us. We don't respond to them the same way. We actually can denigrate them. And I've seen it with amazingly educated people. Right. You put a brown face in front of them and they dig in their heels and resist everything they say. Or educated people that completely miss the point of what was being said. Yeah. Right? Amplifying presents that opportunity for people from a dominant group to learn from folks that don't look like them. It chips away at this idea of white supremacy. It opens the mind up to the fact that there are eloquent, intelligent, capable people out there um, that can speak truth into your life, especially for Christians, yeah. right? Where there's, that's another realm where we only often see one you know, type of person. Um, the, there are capable people that can add and enhance to your life because of the gifts that God has given oh. them. And so amplifying it is you saying, I think that this voice needs to be heard. Yeah. Again, your choice whether to engage, but I think that it will be beneficial for you. And that chips away at this idea of the supremacy of one type of group. 100%. Yeah. So, you know, as leaders, it's important for us to be mindful of that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I watched an interview with a pastor, I think just from the Niagara region, it was similar to this, and the gentleman asked the white preacher, tell me about a teacher, a professor, a coach, um, someone in leadership over you that's not been white. Yeah. And there's this real interesting moment, and it hit home to me as well, to think that I, I don't know if I can name one or two. And I think we've got to wrestle with those types of things. Yeah. I think we've got to say, we want more voices at the table. We want more people represented. We want to hear from all the different gifted people. As you said, God has gifted us all differently. Uh, that picture of heaven. What would it look like to have a church that looks like that? I get excited yeah. at that reality. Yeah. I get excited at that reality. But John, speaking up, amplifying voices even, comes with a risk. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right? it does. With risks. Yes, it uh, does. What are some of the risks you would say with, with kind of speaking up? <sighs> I mean, within your social circle, you're, you're uh, changing the dynamic, right? You're changing the way that people might look at you. And we are all inherently aware of that. And some of us are really, really concerned about what people think of us. Um, there is the uh, potential for ridicule, yeah. right? Um, you know, being overly sensitive or being an SJW, social justice warrior, social justice. right? Which is now a, a slur. <laughs> um, there, uh, 
you know, the fragile snowflake, and there's all they, they, the the uh, pejoratives have grown in in the 21st century around these issues. Um, differences with family members, yeah. right? Um, Talk about awkward Thanksgiving. Awkward Thanksgivings, yeah. uh, or, or worse, you know that there, you know, in some parts of the states have seen social media accounts of, you know, parents disowning kids and that yeah. kind of. I mean, there's there's real there's real costs to um, to, to speaking up um, for what is right and affirming the dignity of folks. And, and to be honest, we've seen this in North America, even the risk of division coming within the church and yeah. people within the church that refuse to affirm the dignity of people or provide concern yeah. when their people groups are, are um, being oppressed. Yeah. It's jarring. Oh, it, it's the thing that makes me sad. I get angry um, and I grieve um, the church, when the church doesn't get it, it makes me really, really sad. Yeah. John, what would you say to someone? Um, what would you say to someone that says, "You know what? I'm I'm afraid of speaking out." I think about this. I think about the stories in my life where the Lord has prompted me to do something and I haven't done it, yeah. and. I feel the weight of that. I also feel God's grace. Yeah. I've, I've, seen the, I've seen that. Um, that we're, I don't think we're to flog ourselves into, um, into acting on our convictions. But I think that bringing Jesus into this discussion um, within your own heart and with, between you and, and Father God, like bringing Jesus into it and asking for strength, asking for resources, um, it, it's, I think if, if you've ever spoken up or when I've spoken up, it's, it's frightening. It is, yeah. I can think of just one moment without going into details of a time when, um, it was actually, uh, at our food bank when, um, when a gentleman just said something horrific towards a, a Muslim lady. And I can remember it, words just started coming out of my mouth. And I was and I was shaking, and I was I realized as I was telling this man that that like that was not acceptable at all. It, it shook me up. It, 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 but I tell you what, in that moment, that lady walked away with some a little bit more dignity <laughs> than she would have had had I not spoken up. But the truth is, John, not every one of my stories ends that way. No, mine neither. I've got stories where I did not speak up, mm -hmm. and there's grace for those moments, and there's grace for the moments we do. Um, and I I just encourage you at home. Um, as you're, as you're wrestling with this, just make a zero tolerance for some of these things that we just count as jokes and comments. And you know, Are they that funny? Are they that valuable that we can't go without some of these things that we say and do? Um, but why don't we be a church that leads the way in this? Yeah. To say we speak up when we see this. We don't settle for these things. Yeah, and I guess you know, as, as part of it, as maybe we've told these stories, we've learned from them. Yeah. And so... Um, I think we're a little bit more equipped the next time, the next time, the next time. It's practice like anything. Yeah. Um, and so we need to pray for preparation, pray for strength, and then we will need to step out. We might make mistakes. We, we probably will, <laughs> will make mistakes. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, and so hopefully um, you're able to do that. Uh, you're able to sort of progr progress or, or move forward in this journey um, while learning and while being in relationship yeah. with folks to be able to, yeah, to do better next time. To do better next time. Yeah. That's it, right? 
do better next time. You might not nail it every time. John, one of the other things Jim mentioned was he encouraged us to support people and projects that are making a difference. Um, is there value in our dollars? Is there value in our support? Well, it's been really interesting to see how businesses um, and communities have sort of realigned themselves mm -hmm. to consider these, um, to consider like black and indigenous people of color, BIPOC um, businesses or initiatives um, because they've been out there. It's interesting, the whataboutisms um, that get dealt with like, uh, oh, oh, one of them from the playbook in the States is um, when they talk about uh, police injustice, like, well, what about gun violence in Chicago? because it's really bad. And so it's like, well, how come these, these uh, social justice people don't care about that? Or how these black communities don't care about that? And the response is actually, no, no, there's actually a lot of people doing really great work yeah. that never gets covered in the media, that yeah. never gets a social spotlight. And, and so the work has been out here, but again, like these, the idea of marginalized groups is that they have been pushed to the margins. I sat in a service at Brooklyn Tabernacle once, and um, the, the lead pastor, who came across as a very loving and genuine person, um, brought this couple up to the front in almost a humble um, admission that he did not know that this couple was doing such great work in their community with a certain initiative. Yeah. And he was sort of taking the L, like taking the loss, and saying like, you know, I wish I'd know, known this and, and should have given more wow. of a spotlight and brought them to the front of this massive church to talk about the initiative that they're doing. It is about eyeballs. Yeah. It's about where you choose to fix your gaze. Yeah. And I think that within the last few months, even just reorienting my own life, I'm doing music, who am I working with? Yeah. What, you know, the, the, the quality of work is there, the skills are there, it's all about visibility and it's yeah. all about people that have been pushed to the margins and now they're getting an opportunity hopefully a genuine one, especially from the major companies um, or major corporations, because some, sometimes they're, they're been seen as suspects. We're giving an opportunity yeah. to um, use their skills. And I know of one person in particular that, uh, that I, I want to work with in the future that has gotten some major breaks and was about to quit yeah. what they were doing. Same talent as, as my other, other friends in the same field. Yeah. Right, just not the visibility, and it's because we're sort of used to a society not paying attention to them. Yeah, it's funny uh, to say that because what comes to mind is I, I've gone to some of your shows, some of your concerts and stuff, and I remember one time I was taken back that like the lead guitarist, and for some reason it just struck me that like oh, it's not very often you see lead guitarist that is a female. Mm -hmm. um, and and I could be wrong on this, so correct me. Was she, was she, I don't believe she was white either. No, she was Asian. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I remember just going, that's not the norm. Yeah. And why did that stick out to me? Do <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And so I, I think the fact that you seek out those opportunities speaks to kind of the, the heart and person you have to, to amplify and lift people up and to give people opportunity. But this idea of supporting people that are making a difference, it's, we gotta ask ourselves, do we have eyeballs in the community of, of yeah. people who are making a difference in these areas? And they do exist. And again, sorry to, to hit the same nail, but relationships, right? Like you might not know, but your friends do. And so it's, okay to ask uh, and you find those safe places to ask and you can find you can uncover some really interesting work yeah it's happening yeah it's happening and so that's some homework for for you guys for sure at home uh 
businesses to maybe ask yourself, you know, who am I supporting and what are they putting work to? I mean, Jim mentioned a couple things that we support, you know, with uh, Chris and Nancy Mafosa in, in Zimbabwe and some of the work that's there. We have to ask ourselves also what's happening here locally in Milton and in Halton and Ontario. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's some things to consider. Now, John, as we kind of come towards the end, um, one of the things that might have struck people funny, you know, we had the first thing was to show solidarity. Mm -hmm. The second was to speak up. The third was to support people in projects making a difference. And then there's this fourth one that maybe seemed out of place to some. Uh, I don't know, maybe it didn't, but was share the gospel. Yeah. Um, obviously, sharing the gospel is unique to the church. Um, Doug Tuji is going to be speaking next week on the gospel, on the power of the gospel, and reconciliation. It's going to be awesome. What value, what does the gospel speak into this issue uh, as we kind of come to, an end, come to a close? See, this is a, a tough one. <laughs> you wouldn't think it is, right? It's the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Part of the playbook in the church that we have seen, that I have seen, is to, is to use the gospel as a defense mechanism mm. um, to prevent self-examination. Dialogue. Yeah, any kind of dialogue. Um, examination of the structure of the church. Um, it's all over the, the comments. We'll just focus on the gospel, right? James, James 1 talks about caring for the widows and the orphans. And in, the, in these cases where you see people in the comments talking about we're just going to talk about the gospel, it's connected to like people that are dying, that people are being made widows and orphans, and we're arguing with them about how we just need to focus on the gospel. Mm. It's used as a defense mechanism. And it gets me so angry. <laughs> it gets me so grieved that we can miss it. We're going to argue with people that say, this isn't just. And instead of the church has nothing to say about this, we're just going to focus on Jesus. Again, what have we established where Jesus was? Yeah. He was with the hurting, with the oppressed, with the people that society wrote off, right? That did not want them around them, these various sinners that just ticked off the religious people. That's where Jesus was. He was crying with people that had lost their loved ones. Like he um, is an empathetic person that ascribed dignity to people that society didn't ascri ascribe dignity to. And you can see that now if you just step back and look at society and say, who is valuable, right? Who is shown to be valuable? And then go, Jesus would be with the other people. He doesn't want your approval. He wants, he's not there for the healthy. Yeah. He's here for the people that, um, yeah, that are in need. And this is the person that we must follow, yeah. right? And so there's an example that we need to do. So, you know, there are, there are pastors I, I've heard talk about, you know, uh, um, for those that are disillusioned with the church. Right for maybe their silence on this or or, or their ignorance, and the pastor says like study Jesus, study Jesus, and you'll see what a radical and loving person Jesus is. It's like the real good news, right? And it's about our sin, and then it's about being cleansed from sin, being free from it, and it's the paradox of the gospel. We are redeemed, and we are here. Right? We are already, but not yet. Yeah. We are set free from sin, and we, are, and we deal with the consequences of people's sin on this earth. And we await for Christ's return.
right? We await for um, the healing and, um, and the, yeah, we're, the healing from brokenness and for, for God to wipe the tears from our eyes because we've been crying, yeah. right? You know, Shatter, our favorite MC, says we don't all get the ghetto, but we all get pain. And God cares about that pain. Wow. It's in there. And Jesus is the representation of that. And that is so powerful. But at the same time, as we talk about preaching the gospel, what are we bringing those people into if it's a system or structure that privileges certain people and marginalizes others? Mm. We do have to say, search us, O oh God. See if there's any offensive way in us. And so that the solidarity... And the listening that leads to speaking and the supporting, those things all have to go in concert with preaching the gospel, right? That, um, that we're, we're preaching with our actions, occasionally we'll use words. Mm. But the love that needs to exude from us in our community, especially for people of hurting, require us to pick up our cross, lay down our privilege, right? And that's how we'll make connections and inroads in our community. Mm -hmm. The interesting thing, you know, we talked about the story with Urbana, and you know, so me being able to see the, the aisles filled and this, you know, this picture of heaven, like that's what we're aiming for. That's what Christ does, yeah, right? That's what he does. Breaks down those barriers. Yeah, I mean, thinking about that, that moment where you saw people from every tribe and tongue yeah. worshiping God and like the, the, the ground leveled, right? Like even just a stadium floor, right? It's like mm -hmm. there's no one above anyone else. That's what the gospel does. Yeah. And, you know, if we truly believe that at its core, racism and prejudice is a sin, our good actions are speaking up. All those really can't fix racism. No. We'll never see it completely eradicated on this planet. Um, but having faith and hoping for that one day, like you mentioned, where Jesus will wipe our tears away, knowing that the gospel, yes, him dying, resurrecting, levels the ground between one another, that gives us hope. Yeah. <laughs> that gives us hope. But in the meantime, we must still commit to the work. Yeah. We're still in the not yet. One day, but there are still people hurting. There's still people experiencing this. And man, I just believe Milton Bible Church, I believe you listening to this at home, God is calling you to be a part of seeing that reconciliation at work on, on this planet. You've been given this ministry of reconciling, bringing relationships together, bringing down the walls. And like John said, asking God, <laughs> search me. Yeah. Search me, oh God. Um, I just, I, I feel challenged in my heart, John. And, in, you know, in keeping with some of the things we chatted about, we talked about, you know, showing solidarity. We talked about speaking up. We talked about supporting people that are making a difference and sharing the gospel. Um, I just think it would be amiss for me to, before we kind of close things off, uh, just to not just say, you can support John. John, where can they find you online? I mean, this week you put out uh, a new new lyric video. It's one of your songs called Amplify. Yeah. Very fitting. Uh, but where can people find you online? Yeah, they can find me at uh, johncorbinmusic.com. It's J-O-N. There's no H. No H. Um, and that's all my social media as well. And I've been doing a series since June, writing on race and racism and actually grief and anger as sort of the emotional undertones. Um, you can find that from my website as well on the writing, but it's also on um, a, a site called Substack, so johncorbin.substack.com. Awesome. Yeah. Just want to, it would be wrong for us not to so explicitly do that, and we believe in what John's doing, and so we want to affirm that. 
Uh, but John, I just, I, I would love, as we kind of come to a close, you know, we've given a lot of practical stuff out there just about, you know, committing to the work and, and some of the things we had mentioned. But just lastly, just the, the importance of praying. Yeah. And, and where does prayer fit into all this? Well, I think it's a part of the journey, right? If we believe, we believe that God is um, a provider that will be able to supply our needs um, and to know that God is at work to heal the brokenness within us, either from, you know, experiencing the consequences of sin or, you know, our sin or indifference to other people, then we go to the Father for that provision. And so I think you can get very practical in praying for resources or connections or relationships or or wisdom if you have if you have none of those right it's like i, I want to be in a relationship with with people but i don't want to appear like i'm tokenizing them or that let god lead yeah. because god can do <laughs> so much so more than we can ask or imagine so in these small details that maybe keep you frightened and getting started like invite god into that journey and be prepared to be amazed Totally. What God does. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing when, when, when God's people call on his name, when they, when they really call out to him, he shows up. And Milton Bible, I just want to encourage you. Like, I, I, I want us to be an example to Milton, the world, of what it means to be a place where all the nations can gather, where we can all get along, but also people who are passionate about seeing hurting people restored, seeing broken lives, you know, brought back. And so I'm just going to put that challenge to you. Um, talk about what, we, what you heard today with your family. Maybe confess and, and, and chat and lament as a family about ways that perhaps we could do better. Um, and so I just want to encourage you with that. John, we love you. We're for you. And mm. I'm just going to ask, would you send us out with a prayer? Sure. Awesome. Why don't we yeah. do that? Lord God, we are thankful for your spirit that brings truth. We're thankful that you're, for your spirit that brings conviction. And God, we know that you don't work in shame. Um, we know that you don't work in condemnation. Um, and we know, but we do know that you are with the hurting. Yeah. Um, and that you long to restore the broken. And you have asked us um, to do to the least of these. We to give to the least of these. Um, you have told us that um, you will separate us by our willingness to care for the least of these. Lord, in our world, we have elevated certain groups and diminished the value of others. Lord, the prophets like Daniel and Nehemiah prayed for the sins of their nation even though it didn't have anything to do with them. God, we ask that you would bring light to our brokenness and we would cry out to you for help. That we bring truth. You would just bring truth to the situations that we're experiencing and, um, and guide our hearts to points of healing where we can bring care to those that are oppressed and marginalized. Change our vision. Realign our hearts we can continue to follow after the example of Jesus. And we pray for powerful and mighty things as that happens. And we pray for the healing within us so that we can um, continue to align with your work. So we come before you now asking for your help, your guidance, 
and your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, John. Amen.